0: If you could open your Bibles to Psalm chapter 46. Psalm chapter 46. It has been another unsettling week in our city. The week started with another tragedy, met by unrest and riots. Um, I know the stores have been boarded up, and it's just so sad to see the things going on. And as we anticipate next week... I know we all feel somewhat unsettled by that as well. Uh, who's going to get elected? Will we even know if someone gets elected? Or is this going to drag out for a long time? I think it's the very air that we breathe right now is, is an air of angst <laughs> and anxiousness. What's going on? And so before we took time to pray to God, I think we need time to sell our hearts and hear God speak to us. Our pastoral team wants to take a break from our series in Luke to have God address us from Psalm 46 today in a very specific way. So let's turn our attention to God's word and hear God speak to us. This is the word of the Lord. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth gives way, when the morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters His voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord. How he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in all the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. May God bless the reading, now the preaching of his word. Be with us, Holy Spirit, we pray. As we face many unknowns, politically, unknowns of the coronavirus and its ongoing effects, unknowns of an uncertain economy, certainly issues surrounding race and all the unrest that that's brought, we can have big fears, can't we? We've got big fears. And the media makes its money off of sewing into those fears and just pouring gasoline on them. You turn on the TV, you start scrolling through your phone, looking at social media, and our fears will just grow and grow even more. So think about our fears. We can have... We can have these big fears, <laughs> and they just can be overwhelming. And you know, it's not always even fears about um, what's happening in the country. You know, some of our biggest fears, it's just what's happening for me. What's going on in my life? I mean, personally for me, I think about fears I can have of, will the church ever actually be able to gather again? When are people actually going to be ready to rejoin us? How long are we going to be split up in these ways? What's going to happen with our finances? Are we going to have to lay off staff at some point? Are we not going to be able to continue our mission as we have been? What's going on with our country? How, how are th- how's the next election cycle going to affect me, my family, our church? I think I have coronavirus. I'm immunocompromised. <laughs> you know, What's going to happen? Should I be worried about my health? You all have cares in your hearts. You all have worries. You all have fears. and They can just be these big, huge fears. And then we can, you know, we're Christians. We want to be good people. We want to bring them to God. We want to bring them to God. We want to pray for God to meet us in our fears. But here's the problem. <laughs> we have big fears, and we have a little God. And so we bring them to God, and we try to place our, our fears on God, and it's, you know, kind of, oh, 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 oh. He can't He can't hold them. And what ends up happening is our view of God... It's obscured by our fears. I think what the Lord wants to do in Psalm 46 is I think he wants to flip that script. See, when we have fears, what we are being shown is that we have a disproportionate view of God. When our fears are big, that usually means that God is small. And so what I think the Lord wants to do through this psalm, I think the truth that he wants to establish in our hearts is that yes, our fears might be big, but we have an even bigger God. Yes, our fears that we come into this morning, they might be big, but we have an even bigger God. This psalm wants to take our view of God and enlarge it by giving us three promises. The psalm has three distinct sections, and in each section there's a specific promise that God wants to give us to enlarge our view of Him. So we're going to see the promise of God's protection, the promise of God's presence, and the promise of God's purpose. The promise of God's protection, the promise of God's presence, and the promise of God's purpose. Let's look at the promise of God's protection this psalm starts by immediately drawing our attention to God. It's the very first words. God is. It goes on to describe some very hard circumstances. But before describing the hard circumstances, it starts by grounding us in who God is. See, when we go through challenging situations, we have one of two choices. Are we going to focus On all that's happening around us? Or are we gonna look up to the God who is for us? Where is our starting point gonna be? Are we gonna start with trouble and see God through our trouble? Or are we gonna start with God and see our trouble through God? Friends, where we start might not change what we go through, but it will absolutely change how we go through it. God wants us to start with Him. This psalm was to direct our gaze to God and it directs our gaze to God by declaring that God is our refuge. Refuge is a safe place. What's in view here is a fortified city. A place that you could go to when the enemies are coming against you that you could go into that no matter how they rage against the walls they cannot breach it. You are in a refuge. You are safe. When I think about refuge, I think about one of the most well-known refuges in the world, the Rock of Gibraltar. It's been safely guarding England for hundreds of years. We actually have a picture of it. The Rock of Gibraltar sits on this island on one of the coasts of England, and it is a refuge that's never been breached. I mean, look at it. It juts up 1,300 feet above sea level. It has a sheer cliff on one side that cannot be scaled, and on the other side is a very steep slope that when you put defenses on it, you can't get up it. The Rock of Gibraltar has never been captured by enemy forces. The Rock of Gibraltar has never been breached. When people have gone there for refuge, it has always been an unfailing fortress. Fortress. Friends, this is what God is saying he is for us. This is who God is for us. He is an unassailable fortress. He has never been breached, never been vanquished. He is an impenetrable, unfailing, safe place for any who place their faith in him. And when you're in a fortress of God, when he is your refuge, the effect this is meant to have on us is he becomes our refuge and strength. Do you see that? When you're in God, being in God strengthens us. We're not strong because we've discovered some inner secret to strength within ourselves. This is not pull yourselves up by the bootstraps, be strong in you. No, the strength does not come from you. The strength comes from what you have taken refuge in. When we take refuge in God, not in ourselves, but when we take refuge in God, friends, that's empowering. That's empowering. And this refuge that God wants to be, this strength that he wants to give, it's not something far off. It's not distant. It's not like we have to go up that of Gibraltar and climb a long way in order to get to the top and to be with God and, oh, man, I've finally been good enough. I've finally done enough. I've finally prayed enough. I've finally read my Bible. I've made, gone through all these things to be able to get to God. No, no, no. That, that's not this, the kind of refuge God is. God's a refuge and strength. Look at verse 1 again a very present help in trouble. Very present help. We don't have to work hard to get to God when we're in hard times. God is already with us. Your place of trouble, that's exactly where God is. God is always present with us everywhere. That's the doctrine of his omnipresence but he is very present. He is especially close. He is intimately near when we are in trouble. He is a very present help in times of trouble. Notice that this psalm assumes that we're going to have trouble. There's going to be times of trouble. It doesn't tell us to ignore it. It doesn't tell us to downplay it. Just put a happy, you know, Christian face on. No, no. trouble's going to come. But even in the midst of trouble coming, God is still protecting us. And so notice here, it does not say that God is a refuge that keeps us from trouble. It says God is a refuge who keeps us in trouble. Not from trouble, he keeps us in trouble. God being a refuge, him protecting us, does not mean that God keeps bad things away from us. It means he keeps us even in the midst of bad things. He's a refuge in trouble. He is very present help in our time of need. Notice that it it doesn't say that help is something God does. It says God is, and then after God is, it's refuge, strength, help. God is help. It's not something he does. It's part of who he is by his very nature. All of who God is, in his compassion and love, and mercy, and justice, with all his knowledge, with all his power, with all his sovereignty, all of who God is, is with us when we are in trouble. All of who he is. Not one part does he withhold. He's with us when we're in trouble. And so then what is our response to this? As we contemplate this, we think about God being refuge, strength, Very present. Oh, verse 2 tells us, therefore we will not fear. That's that's the fact that this is meant to have upon us. (laughs) It's meant to ground us to be able to be and live without fear. But how often we fear. How often that's not our experience. How often our fears can be more real to us than our God. Friends, when we are experiencing fear, we're being told something. Our our fears that we have and go through, they reveal something about ourselves. When we fear things, we're showing what we have truly placed our confidence in. See, fear is what we experience when there's something we count on (laughs) that all of a sudden we're afraid it's going to fail us. Fear is what we experience when there's something that we thought we could hold on to that we find out is actually out of our control. Fear is what we experience when there's something that we love that we're afraid we're going to lose. When there's a hope we have that we're afraid is not going to be realized. Friends, fear is what happens when we seek to find a refuge in the wrong place. Above one of the saloons in the Titanic, Sung this, uh, hung this plaque. Not even God can sink this ship. And that arrogant statement still sits at the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean 100 years later. How often we can think that there's something that could never sink us. How often we can think that, hey, if I just put my confidence in this, then I'll be safe. And yet it ends up failing us. Anyone here have a sunken hope? Anyone here have a refuge that you went to that you thought would make you safe but has not proven to provide the safety you so wanted? Friends, there is only one shelter that is sure. It's not a bank account. It's not our relationships. It's not our careers. It's not our education. There's only one thing that is sure. There's only one fortress that never fails. God is Our refuge. And after declaring this, the psalm goes on to imagine some some worst-case scenarios. Therefore we will not fear, and it goes to worst-case scenarios. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way. All that's around us, all that happens to us just totally blows apart. There we, we will not fear, even if the mountains be moved. Something that was unchangeable does something that's unimaginable. Therefore, we will not fear even if the waters roar and foam. It's a picture of just chaos abounding and everything crashing down. We will not fear even if. What's your even if? What's your worst case scenario? Personalize this for you right now. Even if this person gets elected president. Even if this is the direction our country goes in, even if we lose this job, get that diagnosis, go into that financial trouble, experience that relational trouble, continue to experience that relational loneliness, what's your even if? What's that thing that's just a, a burden on your heart this morning? What's your worst fear? This passage is telling us that even if that happens, even if our greatest fears come true, God's protection is greater than even our greatest fears. And should we doubt that, friends, our ultimate assurance that God is always a refuge is because that is who he has shown himself to be and proven himself to be in Jesus Christ. Oh, it might have looked like the worst was happening. As the disciples were following him, thinking that he had come to set up his earthly reign, and he ends up going to the cross, it might have looked like their even if was coming true. Their worst case scenarios were being realized. But guess what? Their moment of deepest despair was what God was using to bring his moment of truest victory. God has proven through Jesus Christ's coming And being very present with us. Friends, he was present. He came and took on our sins. You want to talk about trouble? Whatever you're facing today is not greater than the trouble that once existed between you and God. Here's the greatest trouble known to every single person. The trouble we're in because we have sinned and God is holy and we deserve his judgment. That's the greatest trouble that there is. And yet here is God's promise. Jesus came to be very present with us in that trouble. He came to take on our sin upon himself on the cross. So that even if the worst should happen to us, even if we now die, oh, all that's going to do is deliver us into the loving arms of God. Jesus proves that God is our refuge and our strength. God's protection never fails. Our fears might be great, but our God is even greater. Point number two. The promise of God's presence, promise of God's presence. In verse 4, there's this dramatic kind of change of tone. It goes from imagining all these in verse 3, all these worst case scenarios, the mountains moving, the earth falling away, sees this chaos, craziness happening, and all of a sudden it goes, verse 4, there's a river whose streams make glad the city of God. Chaos to cause. What's caused this change to happen? It says there's a river whose streams make glad the city of God. See, in ancient times, the best cities were the cities that were built upon rivers, the cities that had rivers flowing through them. Because here's what that meant. That meant if an enemy came and laid siege around you and you weren't able to escape, you were okay. You, you were not in danger because you still had water with you. You still had something present with you that could be a source of life and sustain you, no matter what was happening around you. God is telling us here that all this chaos can be brought to calm if we realize something is present with us. What what is it here that God wants us to realize is present with us? (laughs) Look at verse 5. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. Friends, if you place your faith in Jesus Christ, then the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit has come to be in you. You carry within yourself the very presence of God. The Lord is in the midst of you. He is a river, a life-giving source of sustenance. No matter what's happening around you, there's a presence in you, the very presence of God. And notice, when this presence is experienced, <laughs> verse five, the second part, says God will help her when morning dawns. Now, we read that, we might miss the significance. For an ancient Israelite reading this, oh, that would have immediately jumped off the page. It would have taken them right back to the most significant moment of their history. The ancient Israelite people had once been enslaved to the nation of Egypt. And then Moses came, brought them out of Egypt, but then they had a problem because they could not pass through the Red Sea. And the Egyptian army decided to change their, what they were doing. They decided they didn't want them to be free anymore. And so the Egyptian army is pursuing them to kill them and enslave them once again. And so they can't move forward because there's a Red Sea. And they can't move backward because there's an Egyptian army. They're literally stuck between a rock and a hard place. And as you know the story, God parts the Red Sea and his people go through safely. But then there's still Danger. The Egyptian army still hot on their heels. Listen to what happens. We pick up this story in Exodus 14. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its course when the morning appeared. As the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen of all the hosts of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. Do you see what this is saying? God delivered his people from the most powerful army in the world without them even lifting a finger. And when did his help come? It came When the morning dawned. When this psalm is telling us that God's help comes when the morning dawns, it's reminding us that God's help comes not necessarily when we think it should. God's help comes when he has said it is the right time. God, he might not come on our timing, but he always comes on the divine timing. God always helps us right in the moment when we need it the most. He comes when the morning dawns. And when he comes, oh, watch what he does. This turns from a calm scene in verse five. It zooms back out to kind of catastrophe happening. It's saying the nations are raging, the kingdoms are tottering, but watch, he utters his voice. The earth melts. This chaos doesn't go on much longer. Because now the creator is on the scene. And when creator speaks to his creation, when the one who spoke the world into existence speaks over existence, what he says has ultimate authority. And all this raging that's happening, it stops. It melts away because the maker has spoken. Should we wonder who this maker is, we are told his name in verse 7. Who's this one who's speaking and making the earth melt like wax? The Lord of hosts. Oh, he's the one who's present with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. When you see the Lord there in all capitals, that's a reference to the personal name of God. The name that was given to Moses. When Moses said, Lord, I'm going to go back to Egypt. How are people going to know that you go with me? God to tell them that the Lord, this personal name of God, is with you. This is the name that distinguishes God as being the God of these particular people. It's the God of his people. It's the the name that distinguishes him from everything else. It's the name that makes him ours. It's considered so holy by the Hebrew people that the reason it's in uh, all capitals here is we actually don't know how to spell it. They thought it was too holy to put down. They can only speak it, Yahweh. This is the personal name of God. When you see the name Lord, put yourself in there. This is God saying that he is, he's your God. He is personal to you. And not only is he personal to you, but he is the Lord of hosts. (laughs) This host is a reference to the, the heavenly armies, the divine forces. God is the commander and chief. A lot of commentators think that Psalm 46 was written in connection to the events of 2 Kings chapter 19. Let me tell you about what was happening in 2 Kings chapter 19. The Israelite people had gone to a city uh, because they had enemies coming down upon them. This Syrian army was coming to wipe them and destroy them out. If you know anything about this Syrian army, they were considered one of the most brutal armies, brutal people who've ever existed. I mean, they, they make Nazis look tame. They wouldn't just conquer their enemies. They would cannibalize them. Brutal people. And they are coming to Israel. They have a wake of destroyed nations in their past. And now they are around this city, outnumbering them, dozens, maybe even a hundred to one. God's people are like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? God tells their king, King Hezekiah, I'm with you. Do not fear. And that night, God sends one angel. One angel. And that one angel takes out 180,000 Assyrians. And the rest all flee in terror. And so the next morning, when the morning appears, the Israelites wake up and they see that once again, God has delivered them to victory without them even needing to lift a finger. And friends, that's just, that's just one angel. Can you imagine what the host could do? As we see God being called the Lord of hosts, we're being drawn to his immeasurable, uncomprehensible power. He's the Lord. He's personal and close to us, and he's the Lord of hosts. He is powerful. He is powerful in his care of us. He's the Lord of hosts. He's the God of Jacob, the God of Jacob. Jacob was one of the three patriarchs of the nation of Israel. Abraham, who had Isaac, who had Jacob. Jacob's name actually gets changed to Israel. His name's the one that names the whole people. That word Israel means to wrestle. The reason that Jacob's name was changed to Israel, to wrestle, was because there was this night when Jacob was out sleeping, and some kind of figure of God comes to to be with him, and he does not recognize what's happening. He does not realize that the Lord is visiting him. And so because he is fearful of the unknown, he decides to wrestle. He he wrestles with these fears that he has. And God does not leave him. God's not say, hey, I showed up, and this is how I get treated? I expected a little better. Why don't you get your act together? Why don't you stop your wrestling? And when you're ready just to be with me, then I'll be with you. That's not what God does. God is with him in his wrestling. The whole name of the people of God become those who wrestle. God is the God of the wrestling. Not the God of the perfect, but the God of those who know what struggle is like. God's with him in the wrestling. Oh, but friends, then there comes a time where God's like, okay, We're done wrestling now, and God just pins him and delivers him, delivers him, and shows him who he is. Friends, how often we can wrestle like Jacob, just not see God. There's unknown things happening to us. We're, We're fearful what's happening, fearful what could be happening. When we see the fact that God's the God of Jacob, he's reminding us God's with us even in our wrestling. He's with you even in your wrestling. He's going to wrestle with you, with your thoughts and your feelings. He's going to wrestle with you through them. Because ultimately, what you feel and what you think does not change who God is. God's heart is for you. He wants you to experience the peace of his presence. He wants you to know what's true. Like Psalm 23:4: even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. He wants you to know the truth. Psalm 27, 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? He wants us to know the truth of Isaiah forty-one, ten: Fear not, for I am with you. Be not to spade, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Oh, he wants us to know the truth of John 14, 27 as Jesus speaks and says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. He wants us to know the truth of Hebrews thirteen six, so we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Friends, we might have fears that are really big, but none of them are bigger than the God who has promised to be present with us. We have the promise of God's protection, we have the promise of His presence. Final promise is we have the promise of His purpose. We have the promise of His purpose. In verse 8, we are given a command for the first time in this psalm. Verse 8 tells us, Come behold the works of the Lord. We're finally told to do something, but what we're told to do is not our own activity. What we're told to do is to direct our gaze to God's activity. Come behold the works of the Lord. And then notice the verb tenses here as it goes on. How he has brought desolations on the earth. How he has... This is calling us to look back at what God has done. God wants us to see his past activity as his divine resume of his future promises. He wants us to look back at what he has done so that we can look forward with faith and what he is able to do. See, I think often our fears come because we are looking in the wrong place. We are looking to the future and all the unknowns, We're looking at what could be, and we're not spending enough time looking back at what God has done. Friends, when we're afraid, when we're feeling fear welling up in our hearts, don't just keep going over and over again all the what-ifs. Look back at the what-has-beens. When we're fearful, friends, behold his works. That's why we need to know our Bibles. Think about the great stories of God delivering his people. Noah being rescued from the flood. Joseph being delivered from prison. Moses being brought through the Red Sea. David being victorious over Goliath. Daniel being preserved in the lion's den. Elijah being vindicated before the false prophets of Baal. Nehemiah rebuilding the torn down walls of Jerusalem. Esther being saved along with all of God's people. Job being restored after being completely wiped out. I mean, it's just story after story after story. And what did Jesus tell us? You search the scriptures, but they all bear witness about me, John 5, 39. In all these stories, what we're meant to see is we're meant to see them all being culminated and accomplished in Jesus Christ. As he comes and as he dies in our place for our sins, like Noah, we are rescued from the flood of God's judgment. Like Joseph, we are delivered from the prison of our sins. Like Moses, we are brought through the fear of our enemies and experience a victory over sin and Satan and death, a victory to which we contribute nothing. In Jesus, we are preserved like Daniel, vindicated like Elijah, rebuilt like Nehemiah, saved like Esther, and restored like Joseph. Christ church, come behold the works of the Lord! Come behold his works. Come behold his works. As we go into this future, do not be deceived by Fox News or CNN. Things are not spinning out of control. Things have never been out of control. God is still ruling and reigning, and he will always work his redemptive purposes for his people. As we contemplate what he's done in the past, there's a shift in verse to now think about what he is doing in the present. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Do you see it goes from looking at the past to now seeing what God is doing in the present. See, God's past activity is meant to give us assurance of his ultimate victory. This is God being victorious. And notice, God's victory, it's not coming through negotiation. God's not on a diplomatic mission with his enemies. He's not a politician who's trying to make deals that work for everyone. God's a conqueror. God is wiping his enemies out. In ancient times, there was nothing more strong than a bow or a spear or chariots. These are the most powerful weapons of their days. Think about, like, you know, uh, bunker buster missiles. Like, that's what he's saying. These are the most powerful things known And they don't even have the opportunity to use them against God. Because before they can even be used, God breaks them. God conquers. What a picture of his power. What a picture of Jesus Christ. I mean, think about this, friends. What's the greatest weapon that Satan has against us? Isn't it his weapon of accusation? He accuses us of our sin. You know you why know it's such a strong weapon? He's always right. <laughs> we sin, and Satan wants us just to be in despair. You are terrible. And it's so powerful because it's very easy for us to agree with that. Jesus Christ has broken that weapon though, Because on the cross, Jesus has taken all of our sins, past, present, and future. And Jesus himself was judged for them so that we never have to experience the judgment of them. And so when Satan comes at us, pointing us toward our sins, we do not have to fear his accusations because we can look to the forgiveness of our Savior. When Satan comes at us and he wants to tell us all these things that we have done, Jesus has taken that bow and he has broken it through his cross. As a song says, when t- Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. In other words, when Satan comes and se- speaks to us, God the just says, shut up. I have already taken care of it in Jesus. God breaks the power of the enemy. And as we consider God's works ultimately culminating in Christ, we are given one final command. The command that this whole psalm has been building towards. The climactic moment. It comes in verse 10. It tells us, be still and know that I am God. Now often, often, this be still, you see it on coffee mugs. Seems like it gets used as a Starbucks commercial. Oh, be still. Here's your cup of coffee in the morning and sit out by a cool breeze and let the wind just ripple over your face. Get, you, get some you time. And listen, it's important to have self-care in, in times of meditation. I'm not making fun of that. But well, I'm making fun of the fact that that's not all what this psalm is talking about. Not even close. Friends, we need to understand the whole context here. The whole context is that there's a battle ranging. Like there are enemies coming at God. This is chaos. This is blood. This is all kinds of unrest. And into this, seas roaring, earth being moved, mountains trembling. The creator shows up on the scene and he speaks authoritatively and says, be still. This word be still is a strong word. It's a fierce word. It can be translated also as cease, yield. It's what one army commander would say to another when the battle is over. It's a call to surrender. This is done. Stop. Be still. One translation says it this way. Abandon your current course. Another says it this way. Put an end to your fight. Friends, this is a command from the Lord of hosts, whose voice makes the earth melt, whose enemies come to a desolation before him. This is a command from the almighty God telling us that when we are feeling fearful and our anxieties are plaguing us all around, this is a command from the Lord of hosts saying, stop, be still. That anxious thought, that worry, that fear, surrender it. Surrender it. And we're told why. We're told why we should surrender it. Because he tells us in verse 10, I'll be exalted among the nations. I'll be exalted in all the earth. Friends, this is the great purpose of God. This is the great purpose of God. It's to exalt himself, to show the worth and value of who he is, and to have us worship him for it. And so don't miss the flow of this psalm. It's really important. It starts with God's promise to protect, then it moves to God's, assurance of his presence, and that tells us God's purpose, that he's going to be exalted. And so notice the connection. How is God going to be exalted? How is he going to show the worth and value of who he is? How is he going to cause worship to rise from our hearts by protecting us and being present with us in Jesus Christ? our assurance that God will do what he says he will do in protecting us and being present with us is because God has literally staked his reputation on it. And so no matter how the nations rage, no matter how enemies wage war against him, no matter even if mountains tremble or the earth shakes, no matter who gets elected, no matter the direction our country goes, no matter what happens with COVID-19, no matter what occurs with the depressed economy, no matter what goes on with these racial tensions, God will protect us and be present with us because God has purposed that he will be exalted in doing so. So be still. Be still. Surrender your anxious thoughts, your fearful feelings. Stop. Cease. Yield. Trust. Notice this command to be still has nothing to do with what's going on around them. It is rooted solely in the fact that God will be exalted. And so as Christians, we're not going to be still because a vaccine is coming out. We're going to be still because God's going to be exalted. We're not going to be stilled because this election outcome happens. We're going to be stilled because God's going to be exalted. We're not going to be stilled because these social issues get resolved. We're going to be stilled because God will be exalted. I'm not saying that we shouldn't work in this world. I'm not saying we shouldn't try to be forces of good. That That's another sermon for another time. But what I'm saying is this verse is telling us that what should cause us to stop our worrying, to abandon our anxieties, it, to be obedient to be still, is the assurance That God's purpose, that he will exalt himself, is realized through his protection and presence in Jesus Christ. And so friends, here's what this psalm is telling us. Through all these promises, here's what this psalm is telling us. Our fears, they might be big. They might be big. But guess what? When we start thinking what's happening in this psalm, our God is even bigger. And it doesn't mean that our fears no longer exist. Oh, no, they're still here. But guess what? You can have big fears, but if you have an even bigger God, know what happens to your fears? You surrender them to him. You're still in him. You are now overwhelmed, not by what you're feeling or thinking, but the truth of who God is. Our fears might be big, but our God is bigger. And so, friends, if you're not yet a believer in Jesus, this is an invitation to you to stop fighting against God and to surrender your life to God, to put your faith in Him. Love to talk to you after the service. Any one of our pastors or anyone you've seen on stage, we would love to talk to you. If you're watching us online, please reach out to us. Almost every week, we have someone reaching out wanting more information about Jesus. Would that be you this week? Love to talk with you and pray with you. For those of us who are believers in Jesus, this is an invitation for us to do the exact same thing to stop fighting against God and to surrender our fears our doubts our what ifs to be still in the bigness of his protection in the bigness of his presence in the bigness of his purpose our fears might be big but praise the lord he is bigger so be still now and lay this truth in light of God having addressed us from his word now i think we're ready to have some words with God That's why I want to just encourage us to do, and instead of me just praying, I want to give us each a moment to have between us and the Lord, and I hope you'll join us online at home. Why don't you just bow your heads and just consider how you need to be still. What are the things that you need to surrender? What What are some things that have been bigger to you than your God? Would you take that to Him? Would you confess your need for His help? Renew your faith in Jesus. May you place your faith in Jesus for the first time. Let's bow our heads in prayer.